In Sex After, we are getting raw and honest about the most challenging aspects of sex, intimacy, and relationships after seismic change. This is Amy Marks. We're having intimate and unfiltered conversations with people who've been through life-altering experiences, and I'm finding out what sex and intimacy are like for them in the after. We're getting naked physically and getting naked emotionally. This is Sex After. I wanted to announce that after today's episode, Sex After will be going bi-weekly. Because in a few hours, I'm getting ready to get on a plane to go across the world to live in Taipei, Taiwan for the next four months. So please continue to tune in. I will be recording episodes from Taipei, Taiwan and sharing my exciting adventures with you living across the world. And feel free to reach out and message me because I absolutely love hearing from you all. So thank you all again so much for listening. It means so much to me. I am so looking forward to talking with Erin Bagwell today. Erin is a documentary filmmaker and maternal mental health advocate. In 2014, Erin raised over 100K on Kickstarter to fund and produce her first feature-length film, Dream Girl, which premiered at Obama's White House. In 2018, Erin became a mother and started filming Year One, a documentary that takes an intimate look at the everyday extraordinary moments of being a mom while healing from postpartum depression. Erin's story has been featured in Forbes, Ted, Vogue, and The Washington Post, and she was named one of Oprah's Super Soul 100. I am so grateful that Erin said yes to coming on to Sex After to share her story and have this very important conversation. So please welcome Erin Bagwell. And then something really spectacular that I've seen is women worldwide are creating almost like a sisterhood, a business sisterhood, because Love they that. can't find mentorship. And so I see that a lot in the States and you see that in um, in my story in the film as well of women, young women just supporting and leaning on each other and just trying to figure it out. So that's definitely Could you tell me worldwide. like more about like what a business sisterhood is, like what exactly that means? Well, I mean, like I'm part of um, this really beautiful entrepreneur group. It's made up of 50 women. Um, mm -hmm. When I lived in New York, we'd meet once a month and we would share one thing we were struggling with and one thing we were really proud of. Um, and then we'd go around the room. And so if somebody said, you know, I really need to raise money or I really need to hire an HR person or I'm really not sure about this copyright law, can you help me? You know, it became this open source. And so, you know, to this day when I have questions or need advice, I, I can email this incredible group and say, hey, anybody been through this before? Can you can I lean on you for this? So, you know, I think because women don't have access to the same mentors, right. um, we're leaning on each other to be able to fulfill that role. And how did you find all the women or how did all the women find you for that group? You know, it's just one of those right time, right place, New York energy of people looking for the same thing. I actually found the woman who runs that group on Instagram and we became friends. And then she's like, I have this idea. Do you want to help me run it? And, and so it kind of just evolved from there. And you lived in Brooklyn, right? Were you Park Slope? Yes. I was in Brooklyn for 10 years. And how you move? Am I right that you moved yes, to Buffalo? Yes, I did move. Yep. So how does it, because I was a New Yorker like my whole life yeah. and I moved out two years ago. Mm. So I'm curious like how that transition is for you. Like what, what is it like? 
You know, I'm an army brat originally, so I've Mm -hmm. lived all over the U.S., but I feel like New York is where I felt most at home. It's where I met my husband. My husband is a New Yorker. Um, It's where I had my first How did you meet your husband? I do have to ask. How did you meet your husband? We met at work. Yeah, we met. Yes, we met at work. We dated secretly for many months and then, uh, yeah, came out together and yeah. It's great. So do you miss it? I miss parts of it. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, I miss the energy of it and the community. And, um, but there's a lot of things I also don't miss, you know, yeah. like I've, I've gotten really into gardening and I don't think I could live without my lawn, which sounds wow. crazy. Wow. But... Did you ever think you would like, <laughs> did you ever think those words would come out of your mouth? I can't live without my lawn. No, no, it just snuck up on me. And, you know, my gardening obsession started very small and then it's like taken over my whole life. I'm like, so what did it start with? What was the first thing you planted? Um, the first thing I planted was a hellebore that my friend, my friend and I got together. It's a, it's a Lenten rose. So it's a winter flower that really does well in hardy, hardy cold, which Buffalo is very cold. Mm-hmm. Um, and it actually, it looks kind of like a cactus and then it blossoms into this beautiful flower. Oh, nice. Um, and they feel like a little bit rare. So it felt like a special piece. And then I just kind of started around her and then ripping up hedges and just really going crazy with landscaping and extending beds. I mean, wow. Yeah. Wow. Nuts, and what nuts, do you, nuts, I'm nuts. curious, like, what do you, what do you love? Is it your hands in the earth? Like what, what do you like most love about gardening? there are so many things. (laughs) I think I love the time to myself. Mm -hmm. Um, I love how easy it is to just walk outside and get lost in something. I love watching something grow. I think the satisfaction of like planting perennials and have them be small and then in two or three years have them just expand and grow is so beautiful. Love that. Um, And I love the lessons that I learn from the garden. I feel like I'm constantly learning from nature and reminding myself, okay, like, you know, it's okay to grow slow. If something doesn't work, move it around. Don't expect it to happen overnight. Do you know what I mean? We're so impatient. I totally know what you mean because, uh, I got this from my mentor, from my acting teacher. He would talk about, uh, he would always say to the students and I say to them, to the acting class that when you plant the seeds, it's the same thing. You don't yeah. like, you don't yell at that acorn and go, you shitty little acorn. Why aren't you growing? <laughs> you piece of shit. Look at the, or, or make them compare and go, look right. at the acorn next to you. You, yeah. you know, if it's not growing, you nurture it, you take mm-hmm. care of it. So nature does teach us a lot of lessons. Absolutely. I got an acorn actually. I have an acorn tattoo on my arm. I'll show you. Oh, you do? Oh, let's see. I do from my Kickstarter days, actually. I love that. Yes, I love an acorn reference. <laughs> it's a good reference, right? It's it's yeah. it's it's a really really good reference. So then you chose to become a mom. I did. Yes, I wanted to become a mother. I wanted to get pregnant. My husband and I um, had been married a couple of years, and I felt like the dream girl door was kind of closing, and I was ready for a new chapter. Um, and so yeah, we got pregnant. And how? And how, how was that? How was it? How did it feel for you to be, speaking of growing, how did it mm-hmm. feel to you to have that baby growing inside of you? I found it to be very healing in a strange way, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a sexual assault survivor and I've have felt a lot of mistrust in my body at times. 
and seeing the magic of like watching your body just completely, you know, be growing a foot and be expanding. And it just was so magical. Mm-hmm. And I was sick and I was exhausted and it was really hard as well. There's a whole labor, I think, to pregnancy that we don't really give a lot of space to. But it was amazing to just be able to learn to trust my body that, okay, like it knows what it's doing every day. Right. And, right. you know, I don't have a checklist and I'm not, you know, I don't have to stay on top of anything. Like my body is just knows what to do. So um, it was really transformative and it was really beautiful and it was really hard too. It was both things. And then you did another incredible documentary, which I watched that just brought, I mean, it, I was so, so, <laughs> so moved by that. Um, year one. Yeah. So can you tell me a little bit about it? I feel like I know the answer because I listened to one of your podcasts today and I was really fascinated by this uh-huh. when it came up with the question of what causes that you do. Uh, creative things for yourself, not for an audience. Can you explain mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. to me a little bit? Because I was really affected by that. But Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think a great documentary or a great project starts with a, a good question. And so like for Dream Girl, you know, the question was like, how do I become a female entrepreneur? How do mm-hmm. I become a successful, you know, businesswoman? How do I make tons of money and hire a team and grow really fast? And so the film was really like a 101 course for me. Like I was taking notes as I was listening to these women, like it was like a masterclass. And then for year one, I had gotten totally blown away by my, the identity shift that I had when I became a mother and how, all-consuming it was. And I was also grappling with the loss of my identity of dream girl because I wasn't booking, you know, events and things like that anymore. So I felt really stuck and I felt really irritated that I didn't have more media. I was like, where's the Carrie Bradshaw of this experience? Like I need to watch 15 episodes of, of what's happening and I couldn't find it. And so to be honest, I I started recording these little almost micro interviews of things I wanted to remember about the process and the experience. I didn't know what I was going to do with it, and it really evolved slowly, but I, I felt like it was a story I was really interested in, and I had, was shooting a lot of footage of my daughter anyway, and then when I was diagnosed with postpartum depression, I was like, oh, okay, like this is the story. This right. is the answer I'm looking for. Is like, how do we acknowledge this and name it? And then how do we move through and heal it? So that was kind of the thesis of that film. I was so struck by so much of your movie and I was struck by, I just want to start from the beginning. When you Mm -hmm. talked about that, you, when people asked you what you did, you Mm. told them you were a freelancer. Can you just talk to me about that a little bit? God, it's so funny. I just had a conversation with my husband yesterday because somebody asked me again what I did. And I was like, I I really don't know how to answer this question and it's really hard. And um, in the beginning in the film, I say, um, you know, as a stay at home mom, I lied and I told people I was a freelancer because I was embarrassed. And now I've kind of looped around the other way. And now I tell people I'm a stay at home mom. And then they're like, but you're also these other things and you should add on. And it's this weird juxtaposition of like it not being enough and it being too much. Right. Um, and so it's it's complicated how we define childcare and, and our work and our labor at home. It's it's a complicated thing. I still don't know how to answer that question. And you don't have to, right? Like <laughs> I just I just to. go into like an answer that they're I just go in for like ten sentences and they're like, Okay, great, like, all right. 
when your husband got maternity leave right before mm-hmm. weeks, which yeah. should be longer in my opinion, but for sure. And you had said you never had been more in love with him. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I wrote it down. Am I right? Did I, no, did I quote were, it right? You're right. Yeah. I'm blushing. You're right. It was a very, um, I don't think that I, I didn't know what to expect, obviously, from that, you know, period of, of being in those first couple of weeks postpartum and your body's healing and your breasts are leaking and your baby's screaming and you're not sleeping. You know, I think there's moments in your life and in your marriage and in your experience where you're like, oh, I made the right choice. Like Mm -hmm. this man was here for me during this experience and, you know, he was getting me water and he was, you know, he was being as supportive as he possibly could. Yeah. And I just felt this this safe bubble almost of like, oh, we made like a little family mm-hmm. and there was something so precious and lovely about it. And I feel like I really actually craved more of that energy right. um, because I was so kind of lost in the throes of my mental health. But I think it it's important to kind of to have that bonding time together. You're rebuilding your life or you're rebuilding right. whatever your commitment to your relationship is. It's very um, formative. So I'm, I'm very glad he got four weeks um paternity leave and then for our second he got six weeks you know oh, we, we pushed did. it a little longer yep because we knew Great. how important that time was so we're you know we're edging it along you know at the company so how how was it the day that you knew he you were going to be on your own with Ginny with with her daughter's yeah. name is Ginny that's why I said Ginny. yes with Ginny Rose um I was well so I don't really talk about this in the film, but Ginny was a really colicky baby. And in order to get her to sleep, you know, we tried everything. We tried the bouncing. We tried the ignoring. We tried the this. We tried the that. The only thing that would would help is if we almost like swayed her like a windmill Mm -hmm. in our arms would calm her from screaming. But you would have to do it for like 45 minutes. So Sal and I would take 15-minute shifts. I would listen wow. to a podcast, and I'd just be swaying this baby, swaying this baby. And then he would take the baby. He'd be swaying the baby. And so when he was like, I'm going back to work, I was like, I physically can't do this by myself. Right. <laughs> like, this is right. not going to happen. Um, I don't know what to do. I didn't feel physically capable of doing the job by myself. Um, and so I was really freaking out. I was really nervous. Um, and it's just, a, it's a weird thing to feel like I'm not ready, mm-hmm. you know, to, 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 to take care of this life by myself. I don't feel prepared. I don't feel equipped. Um, so it was really scary. I, I was going to ask you that. I was going to ask you, do you think that we prepare people enough when they become mothers and fathers and parents? I think that's a really beautiful question. I don't know. I I mean, we don't prepare people enough, 100%. Um, But also, it's so hard. You know, I have a dear friend who's pregnant, and like, I love pregnant women, and I'm never really sure what to say. Do you Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like, they're not in it yet. There's such a weird thing of the before and the after of what it's like to actually feel the responsibility in your arms of the child and, and to be up all night as opposed to thinking about being up all night. And, um, I really wish there was a heavier cultural narrative around giving parents the space of, of how hard it is. Right. Um, that's something that I think about a lot that I think we could use, but 
at the same time, I think it's, it's hard to prepare what you don't know you're going to experience. And some kids are good sleepers. Some kids, you know, can breastfeed and it's fine. And, you know, you never know what you're going to get. When I was in Taiwan, one of my students, um, cause my students are of all different ages and, uh, him, him and his wife had a baby and he's like, Oh, I'm going to go visit my wife. And I was like, what do you mean you're going to go visit your wife? He said, well, she's at a recovery center. I was like, mm. what is a recovery center? He said, well, in Taiwan, they, they have recovery centers that for, I, I, I don't want to quote the wrong amount of time, but it might be for a month. They're there for like a yeah. period of time to learn how to take care of the baby for the husband mm. and wife to feel supported. And I was like, I was like, George, that's the most amazing thing I ever heard <laughs> of. I was like, that's incredible. And I was like, wow, I wish we did something that like that here. Yeah. I know. It's like you're there. I was in the hospital for like, I don't know, a day and a half, maybe two days. And then they're like, see you later. Have fun. See you later. You're on you know, your own. Good luck. You're, you're, on, you're on your own. What were those days like for you after Sal went back to work? They were very lonely. I think that's the one of the strangest things about motherhood is it's quite lonely. You know, you're spending mm-hmm. a lot of time with um, people who might not be able to talk to you or like laugh at your jokes or think you're interesting at all. And um, it can be very isolating. So I think I was, you know, I remember just like walking the same blocks over and over and like there was a group of, um, there was like a homeless guy that I would always say hi to. Like I knew all the the um, folks in my neighborhood, like that were just around the bodega guy. Like I became like part of this community in my neighborhood. Um, yeah. And it just, it was, it was awful. It was tough. It was scary. It was isolating. And actually I had something I don't talk about in the film that I felt was like a lot of rage, Mm -hmm. like unnamed and untapped rage, which I can sometimes like dip into, um, every now and again of just, the overwhelm of not being prepared, of not having support, of feeling like you're having to carry everything alone. Right. Did Sal know what you were feeling? Like, did you share with him what was happening for you or did you keep it to your close to your chest? Um, no, I mean, I, in my like deepest postpartum, you know, those first couple of months, I was crying every day. You know, it was not something that I was able to kind of keep keep to myself. Right. Right. Um, that's how my depression manifests is I was just like sobbing constantly. Um, but to be fair, I feel like he was going through something of his own as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he's still kind of figuring out and sorting through kind of his postpartum experience. Right. Um, but I think it was challenging for both of us. Did you know, Aaron, that it was postpartum? Like, were you, or did you, or were you like, what is happening to me? I think that was the worst part of it is I've had depression before, but okay. it did not, it did not come to me as postpartum depression. I w- I just thought I was a bad mom. I just thought, oh, my baby doesn't sleep. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not doing something right. I don't have the maternal instinct. Um, And I knew that I was crying. I knew that I was emotionally upset. I knew that that was like a place of instability. But I even I remember even saying to Sal, like, I don't have postpartum depression. Like, I I didn't know I had it. Right. 
Right. Um, and even actually, so I have I have a second daughter now, and I <laughs> went through the process again. I was going to ask you that. I was going to ask you if you were afraid to have a baby again after that experience. Yeah, I definitely was. But there was also a part of me that wanted to try again. Yeah. You know? And I felt like I had had the support. So like during the second postpartum round, you know, I, I actually didn't have it for the first six months. And then all of a sudden I started like slipping into like these crying bouts and I'm like talking to my therapist and I'm sobbing. She's like, I think you have postpartum again. I was like, I don't think I do. Like, <laughs> you know, like you're so out of your mind that you're yeah. not, do you know what I mean? So I, I feel grateful to have had, um, you know, a wonderful therapist who was with me throughout the whole second journey to be able to name it. So and important. then I got a medication really quick and then, you know, things leveled out really fast. So it was a lot easier to deal with. It's a hard thing to, to experience because of the hormone shift, because of right. the lack of sleep. You know, it, it doesn't, it might not look like your regular depression. I was going to talk to you about the lack of sleep because again, when you were in on your podcast, when you said you need to sleep 10 hours, I was like, oh, yeah. right there with, and I was shocked that all the men were like five, four. I, I was know. like, no, I was like nine, 10, <laughs> I'm with you. So I can't even imagine if in general, your body needs that much sleep. And then all of a sudden, like you, you probably weren't even sleeping at all. Like how much no. were you actually sleeping? I mean, you're up every two hours to feed the yeah. baby. So, I mean, consecutive sleep. I remember when we first started getting like four hour stretches, like how powerful that was, you know, every increment counts. Right. Um, and I've just learned to become like a day sleeper, honestly. And, you know, when I gave birth, I stopped drinking coffee. I was like, I need to go down at any time. Like I need to fall asleep at three, four, five. Like I just need to be able to go out whenever. Um, I'm back on coffee, thankfully, but oh, there. <laughs> But yeah, it's very it's important. A, it's my body needs a lot of sleep. It, it, it's very shame inducing, actually, because I'm always like, you know, oh, I need to rest. And it's like, get it together, girl, like keep it moving. But my but my body needs what it needs. Was there now that you brought up shame? Was there a <laughs> lot now that you brought that word up? Was there shame attached to uh, your feeling that you weren't a good mother when that you were just talking about or that? Yeah, I mean, I think that was the worst part of um, the postpartum was in the beginning really feeling like it's not that something was wrong with this situation, but something was wrong with me. And one of the intrusive thoughts that I kept having was like, your daughter would be better off without you. Like that was such a gutting space to really step into and really feel fully like I'm doing a bad job and obviously very painful and very shame inducing. And I think also part of, you know, I was very close with Sal, obviously, and in, in telling him, but it's hard to, you know, be honest to friends and family when you feel like you're failing at motherhood, which is supposed to be this joyful and, you know, natural and instinctual process. And it was, it, it caused me a lot of shame. It's, it's something I'm still untangling and, and giving myself grace for because some, it doesn't, my experience in my motherhood doesn't have to look like anybody else's. And that can be tough in our Instagram world. I just think it's so important you made this movie. Uh, my partner in my production company is a therapist. She's a mm. marriage. She's, she's a therapist. And I told her, and she deals with a lot of women and a lot of women who have postpartum. And I told her about your movie, about your movie, and and she's like, I have to watch it. And she's like, 
She said it's a conversation that just needs to be had because so many more people experience it than we know. So I love that you're bringing light to something that's so important because we are in an Instagram world where everything is like smoke and mirrors and looks perfect. And I'm sure you're, you're, there's many, many, many people who've experienced what you've experienced. Does that help you know that there's others? Because I saw you started a support group and the community of women and yeah, I mean, I, you know, selfishly made the film again for myself <laughs> to be able to heal and process and make, you know, art that um, I could connect to and I could heal through. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's I love finding women who are, you know, want to get in it with me. You know, mm -hmm. I don't want to small talk about having children and um, I want to get right to it. And there's definitely some women who, you know, aren't interested in those conversations and that's fine. But like I'm, I want to create spaces where we can really, you know, talk about our identities and the shifts and all these different things. So, yeah, I, I love that that the movie has given me a little bit of a platform and a um, an opportunity to be able to have those conversations. And they're very important conversations to have and speak. That's why one of the reasons I'm doing this podcast, because I think there's so many conversations that people don't want to have. Mm. And I think for our collective healing, I think they're really important to have. Definitely. Speaking of important conversations. <laughs> now, I, I just want to say this disclaimer. I've never been married and I don't have children. I can understand from listening, but, but I'm not a mother. So it's a, it's, it's a, it's a very, very different experience not being a mother, mm -hmm. right? That's a whole other podcast, you know, <laughs> the guilt and shame of not being a mother. Right? You know sure, what I'm saying? Sure. That there, you know, it comes shame, in both ways. You it, know? Com it comes both ways. But how was at, with postpartum and having two children, how is it intimacy wise with your partner? Like, how does that change? Yeah, I mean, I think in the beginning, um, it's very strange because your body is not yours. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, after having a child, you know, my breasts are leaking and my body is still healing. I had a vaginal birth for both of my girls, not intentionally, just kind of accidentally. And, you know, when your body has been through such a big shift, Right. You know, not only does it physically change, but your children are now using your body to like sustain themselves. So right. I remember, you know, something mothers talk a lot about is being touched out, you know, like you're holding a baby all day or you're, you know, baby suckling from your breasts all day. And it's very hard to kind of make that transition of feeling like, okay, now this body is for pleasure mm. when really I'm using it like sustainably as a function. Right. So you know, I think it's a lot of patience with feeling comfortable in your body and, and, and taking the time that you need and being really honest about conversations with your partner and saying, okay, like we could try, we got, like, I remember being like, we could try, but like, if I, you know, wave the flag, like you're done, bro, you know, <laughs> like you just, cause it's, it yeah. also is very scary. You know, my vagina was just like blasted open yeah. with a baby. And now we're going to try to like put something else in it. It just felt, feels it was so scary the first first few times and your body is it has like realigned in such a weird way that it feels different you know you're you're you have to kind of get comfortable again it's very right. strange it's right. a whole process 
Yeah, I, I don't know. Like I said, I don't know what it's like to get comfortable with your body from birth, but I, I, I had a double mastectomy, so I know what it's like to get comfortable with my body from losing my breasts. Yeah, Right, sure. like to finding a way to meet the new body that you have. Yes, absolutely. That's such a lovely way to put it. And yes. to love the new, and to love and accept the new body you have. Mm. Yes, I feel like I'm still, I'm on that journey right now. I'm like, how are we, how are we doing now? And when, where are we? And, and my, uh, my therapist was talking about having, how like your different versions of yourself are like these little Russian dolls. And oh, you can, the Russian like, go dolls back that and you visit. Keep, yeah. yeah, you can yeah. go back and visit them, but like you're this other doll now. So I'm have I'm dealing with a lot of like surrendering of the old, the old body, which I loved and admired very much. <laughs> I love that analogy about about the Russian dolls. Yeah, it's it's a good one. But but it is like it it is that acceptance because I know sometimes I'll look in the mirror and I'll be like, okay. I have to accept. And some days it's easier than others. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, for me, it's like, how much sleep did I get, you know? <laughs> I want to know more. I'm going to go back. I, I'm going to go back a little bit because there's things like, I watched your movie twice. <laughs> oh, man. I, like, I know. I was like, I know. You're because so brave. I, because I, I thought it was really, I thought, you know, the first time you watch a film, you just watch it and then you can mm-hmm. really like, you know, the second and then the third, like you can really yeah, get yeah. in there. But I was really struck when you said, ugh, makes me emotional when you were feeling when you were having feelings of suicide mm-hmm. and you said the day I chose my life I chose my family and I chose myself I surrendered mm-hmm. can you just talk I was so struck by that can you just like talk to me a little bit about that and that moment and what that was for you yeah I actually think about that moment a lot because I you know continue to have intrusive thoughts and suicidal thoughts and I have a different relationship to them now but it really has to be a dialogue you have with mm-hmm. yourself of like, you know, I ha- the way that I think about it now is like your, your suicidal thoughts are trying to kill you, mm-hmm. you know, for lack of a graceful way of saying it. And so, you know, when a thought pops into my mind, I'm like, no, I'm okay. I want to be here. Like I talk back to it now of like, no, I'm right. good. Like, thanks for, you know what I mean? Um, thanks for calling. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for letting but, me know you're here. But I think it's really it's a powerful shift, right? I think to feel like you're on the brink of something or you're not worthy of something or, you know, through my postpartum depression of feeling not um, able to take care of my daughter and then really deciding I'm going to, I need to show up for myself. I need to show up for my family. I need to, I need to just like lock into this, not even being a possibility anymore and not being something I want to entertain. And how do I get away from that energy? So yeah, it was a really powerful, you know, moment. I, I, I talked to a lot of women who have postpartum who actually say, you know, they don't have a rock bottom moment and they feel some kind of sh- shame or guilt about that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, we don't have to get to the bottom of the well to like get help and get better and feel good about ourselves. So right. however it comes that you figure out you need support is, is awesome. Yeah, because I was also so struck when you said you called your husband, like because you you knew enough to reach out for help. That's the part I was really struck by. Yeah, 
Well, I knew I wasn't doing well and I knew that I was having um, really intense suicidal thoughts and I really like sat with them for a while um, trying to figure out what I was going to do and what I wanted to do and where I wanted to be. And I think one of the darkest things about, you know, depression is that you just want to release yourself of the pain of where you're at. And so, you know, in a sick way, suicide feels like this release of like, let this go, let this Mm -hmm. get this off of me. And so we really have to be careful about reframing how we view it and how we can find light. You know, one of my favorite quotes is the RuPaul quote that's like, you know, it doesn't matter how cloudy it is. The sun is always on the other side. I think holding true to um, those spaces and those ideals in these moments are so, so important. I completely agree with that. So you're lucky that you have a really wonderful therapist. Yes. <laughs> no, it's it's so I do. important. I love my ther- no, and I will say when I first had postpartum depression, I went to a bad therapist. And she was like, you're just like in the motherhood thing. And this is just hard. And I was like, this I was like, this woman's got to go. Like, this is not, I'm, this is not, I'm not where I need to be. And I didn't feel seen. And I, I'm thankful also that I was able to kind of listen to that emotion and feel like I needed something else. And yeah, it's, it's hard to find a great therapist. It's very, very hard to find a great therapist. I've had good ones and I've had some. Not so good ones. Yeah. Right? But that's great that you that you have one that you love. Yeah. I have so many things I want to ask you. Can you talk to me about your identity with um, being a mother? And you had a very, very, like, I- I'm so impressed by the by your career. I mean, I kept, I kept saying to Chris, I'm like, oh, my God. Like, everything you've done, it's really, really impressive. How is that for you now? Yeah. You know, I think it depends on the day, honestly. Mm -hmm. I mean, sometimes I wake up at, you know, one in the morning and I'm sleeping on a baby's floor and I couldn't tell you, you know, anything about the Oprah story. And that's the last thing I'm thinking of. And so, you know, some days it feels like a totally different part of my identity. And then, you know, some days I'll be in the flow of something and I'll feel very creative and, you know, I'll be able to get in touch with that, you know, smaller Russian doll version of myself and I'll feel very kind of in tune with it. So mm-hmm. I think it's a identity is like such a complicated piece of 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 being a mother and trying to figure out how to hold space for like giving every inch of yourself while trying to, you know, hold on to something and grow something and allow yourself not to get lost in it. Or at least well, that's my experience. Why do you think, and I don't know if you're going to know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Why? Because I, I know I, I have a lot of friends who are mothers and, and, and so many of them feel like they're, they're not doing enough or they're failing. Like, where do you think this comes from? Well, it's interesting when you look at, like, if you look at studies of motherhood and the way that motherhood is viewed in cultures, you know, women in America say you know, that they're failing, that they're not doing enough. And then women in European countries that have bigger social programs say the government isn't doing enough. So I do think culturally, you know, we are in this, you know, weird time and space where, you know, 30, 40 years ago, you could have, um, you know, a regular job and buy a house and have a stay-at-home mom and be able to afford it. And I think that our culture hasn't really caught up with the economics yet. Right. And I don't think it's willing to let go of the unpaid labor of women. 
And so I think we're at this kind of weird juxtaposition of the most working mothers of any generation, the most in debt generation, you know, trying to raise families, trying to figure it out, having a um, this birth deficit, people don't want to have kids anymore. I mean, we're in this is that is that powder are keg? In, are we in a birth deficit that people don't want to have kids? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel like this is a whole can of worms, but yeah. yeah, I mean, from every step of the way, from not providing national paternity maternity leave. I mean, yeah. some women go back to work after after a week, which is unacceptable. Um, not having paternity leave you know, not having any childcare options, Right. you know, kids can't go to school until they're five. So what are you supposed to do for those first five years? And then once they do go to school, it's like, there's so many issues that it's, it doesn't really surprise me that American mothers feel like they're completely underwater and exhausted. There's a lot of work that needs to be done. You might not know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask anyway, do you think American fathers feel the same way? Or do you think they feel completely different? <laughs> I, I just it, the question I, I just thought I know I yeah I mean I think I mean I have seen the way my friends have structured their families these modern millennial women who are working mm-hmm. full-time and they're still handling the bulk of the child care you know the bulk of the housework I, to be honest I don't know how anybody does that right I think that there is more conversation I think there's more TikToks about it. I don't mm-hmm. know how much actual dishwashing men are doing in their houses. I'd love some stats on that. I'd love to see more, more, more. You know, I think we do praise fathers a lot. My my husband and I talk about this all the time. He takes the girls to Wegmans, which is our grocery store. Oh, uh, Wegmans is a great grocery store. It's a great grocery store. It's a store. great grocery store. So yeah. he's cruising around Wegmans with the girls and the amount of women that come to him. And they're like, you are a great father. You've got two of them in the shopping cart. I can't believe you're shopping with two kids. What an amazing dad. And you know what people say to me when I'm schlugging my kids around? Nothing. (laughs) Absolutely nothing. Nothing. They give me the side eye. They're like disgusted. They're like, why haven't you showered? I mean, it's, uh, you know, fathers are doing just fine. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) I love that you uh, started the support group with the women for, for mm. people to talk and to be seen because I I love how you talk about being seen is so important and not feeling alone is so important. Mm. Yeah. So I actually joined the support group. My therapist actually runs it. Um, mm-hmm. And so she, it's a licensed therapist who like basically gathers these women together to share their stories and experiences. And I think it was one of the most healing things I've ever done in my life to be amongst women who are experiencing the same struggle. And they were naming things I couldn't name and right. they were offering grace when I couldn't offer grace. And it was just a beautiful experience and it gave me a lot of confidence and it really helped me find myself again. So I'm so grateful for it. I actually dedicated the the film to the women in my group, in my circle. It's so important to share our stories. And as women, I think it's incredibly important to share our stories. That's what I'm doing with my production company. It's, mm-hmm. It focuses on on female stories because I think they need to be heard. And I think in telling, yeah, in telling our stories, we help each other talk about things that people might not talk about or feel comfortable talking about. 
Yeah, I think it just lights something up inside of you to hear somebody Mm -hmm. else that you feel related to. Like, I can't tell you how many times we would do a dream girl screening and then I'd be in the audience and someone would be like, I have an idea for a business. And like, this is an idea for this. And like, if, you know, Mariama can do it, then maybe I can, you know, move forward. And even though this is like, so I think having those examples is, is so paramount and it just gives you like a little bit of a lift to figure out what you're doing. A little inspiration. Which we all need. Definitely. We, we all need a little bit of inspiration. I want to take it back to intimacy. How is intimacy now with two children? And we yeah. can describe intimacy many different ways. I want to be really careful about that. Because sure. to me, to me, as I get older, I, I think sometimes holding someone's hand and just touch, mm. in, in, especially after like years of COVID for me, not being around people at all, just yeah. the experience of touching someone's hand to me can be intimate and, mm-hmm. and beautiful. But how is physical intimacy for you now with, with your husband? Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's been quite a journey. You know, postpartum is such a a physical transformation and it mm. takes such a long time to feel in your body again. You know, it's a couple months of bleeding and then, you know, I breastfed for eight months with Ginny. And so I, f- I remember actually my friend is an OBGYN and I, I was calling her and I was like, something's wrong with my vagina. Like it doesn't feel right anymore. And like sex doesn't feel the same anymore. And this had been like, we were in like a year at that point. Um, and she was kind of like, I don't think there's anything you could do. About. <gasps> like she was kind of just like telling me the real tea of, you know, mm-hmm. you're just going to have to work it out or do kegels or whatever she had recommended. And I will say it got better and better and better. And, you know, I think we were talking about the garden before and we want things to happen overnight. Sometimes your body has to settle in. Right. So I will say, you know, it's been a journey for both children to kind of reconnect, but my husband is a Scorpio and I know that sex is like very important to him and his way of connecting. And so oftentimes I try to make myself like a little bit more available than I Mm -hmm. actually am to just test the waters and to keep that connection flowing. And I love what you were saying before about intimacy because like something we do every night together is we brush our teeth together, which sounds- That's no, to me, that's incredibly- No, I think that's intimate. Yeah, it's like, and if he does it without me, like I'm mad. And if, do you know what I mean? Like it's Mm -hmm, something we do mm -hmm. together at the end of the night and it's, and it's weird. Like the lights are really dim because the kids are all asleep. So it's Mm -hmm. kind of like- we're sexily brushing our teeth. It's like so stupid. It's those moments and, and also like having the house be clean. Like I, I cannot be (laughs) intimate in like a messy space. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, you know, making sure that actually like household chores and labor is part of, you know, I do a a podcast with um, my friend Frank Schaefer and he's like, everything is foreplay. You know, you put dishes in the dishwasher, it's foreplay. You open the door for somebody, it's foreplay. And so Sal and I have kind of been playing with that idea of like, what are the everyday lovely tasks you can do for somebody that can really, you know, make them feel special and, and give them a little, you know, extra oomph. I love that. The every I love that word lovely, the everyday Mm. lovely tasks, because that makes a really big difference. Yeah. I mean, you're not always like emotionally available for, for physical intimate, or at least I'm not like, I have to feel mentally and emotionally connected before I can do anything physical. So, you know, it's important to have that base. And you, 
you both have those conversations. You're able to have those conversations with each other. Yeah, I think some of it is like subconscious of like mm-hmm. knowing when it when it happens when things are in flow. And then, yeah, then sometimes it, it has definitely been a conversation. I remember when we were like very, very new parents and he was wanting to go on a lot of date nights and like do things together. But I was so depleted that I was like, I'm giving so much to our daughter. I can't give any more to you too. Like right. I need somewhere in the equation my well needs to fill up first mm-hmm. so yeah those are you know conversations you're you're always negotiating with yourself or the people in your life you know it's always always changing unfortunately I'm learning so much from talking to you again because <laughs> no because because that because I'm not a mom right mm. and and it's and it's a very different thing for me not being a mom yeah so I really appreciate you talking to me and being so open and really sharing your truth and your heart with me Yeah, for sure. Thank you for um, creating the space to do so. Oh, absolutely. So we do these questions at the end. Mm -hmm. We call them our exit questions. And they're real, they're sort of fast. So just because sometimes the quick answer, we don't have to think about it. So I just want to see instinctually. What does true intimacy look like to you? (laughs) I really have to ponder this one. I'm sorry. (laughs) That's okay. Um, True intimacy. I think it's like sharing like a laugh, Mm -hmm. you know, like when you can make your partner laugh. I love like that feeling of connection of like getting a joke or getting something or, you know, if one of us is being goofy and just being able to kind of relate to each other in that way. I think that's really special. I love that. Why do you think we are so obsessed with sex? I've been thinking about this a lot, actually, because... I have been just like pondering the Kardashians and like Mm -hmm. our sex culture and Instagram. And, you know, I think we're just animals Mm. (laughs) at the end of the day. And we uh, we, we procreate and we have to procreate because we're driven by something. And I think we're also attracted to beauty. Right. You know, I think beauty is a big driver. And I think that can be confused with sex in some ways. So Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think we're just, you know, creatures roaming the earth who... Trying to get stuff done. What's something in your after, like after your postpartum and being a mom, that you're still working on in yourself? I'm still working on giving myself grace for whatever the day throws, you know, whether I'm having a bad day or a good day. And I'm actually really working on dealing with all the Ozempic stuff that's happening in the media. Okay. What about Um, that? Tell, Tell me about that. Just like how thin some of my favorite people are getting. Yeah. Um, And I feel like people that I have relied on to have, you know, normal or regular bodies are getting very small. So I'm really having to sit with that and process Mm -hmm. that and let that go and and see what comes of that. So, you know, I think as women, our bodies are such important parts of how we express ourselves, how we feel. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with the Ozempic stuff. Yeah. Yeah, people, I know some people that got like crazy, crazy tiny. Yeah. What is something people would be surprised to learn about what you went through? Hmm. I think people might be surprised that I am, (laughs) I can be very 
um, honest and forthcoming to strangers and mm. the people closest to me in my life might not have any idea what's going on. I'm a very good at masking how I'm feeling to the people that are closest to me because I don't think I don't want them to worry about me. Yeah. Um, and so I, you know, one of my big lessons with the first round of postpartum was like letting people in and letting people see and, you know, having it be okay. You know, I'm an oldest sister, so I, I feel like I have to like hold everything together and right. check on everybody else. So yeah, I think if you watch year one and you see me like naked in the shower crying, you're probably I like, did. oh my God, like everybody knows that girl's business, but um, I'm actually can be quite private. <laughs> I have to tell you, I totally get that because I'm I'm like that as well. Like mm. like in my art, and when I teach, I'm very very open. I'm able yeah. like when I create, I'm very very open. So people think, oh, like you, they think, oh, she's an open book. Yeah. But so many times, I don't share exactly what I'm feeling, or people yeah. like have no clue. Yeah, I have to, I have to have processed it in some capacity, you know. Last question. What is one thing you'd say to someone going through what you did? I mean, I would say, you know, first and foremost, hold on, even though it's not normal to have intrusive thoughts. It's also normal to some extent. Um, And just because it's happening to you doesn't mean you're a bad mom or a bad person. It just means you're a person who needs help and support. And then I would also say to that person, you are feeling like very, very low in your life and you're feeling like garbage and you're feeling like a bad mom and a bad parent and a bad partner and you feel like you're failing, but you are actually a fucking warrior. And what you are having to carry on your back while raising a child and keeping somebody alive while drowning yourself is heroic. And I, it's so important that women know and men know that when they come out of this, when they get to the other side of where they are, that they're going to know how strong they are and how capable they are and, you know, that they are worthy of this beautiful life that they're creating. That's beautiful, Erin. Thank you. Do you still do speaking engagements? I do. Yeah, I still um, share my story when it, you know I'm called to. Mm-hmm. Your story is so important for people. It's so important for people to hear because I think when you're going through something, it's very important to hear from someone who went through it. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things I was really aware of when I was making year one was that there are going to be women who get to the other side and then what? Like, what's the question that you're faced with there? And I think there's a lot of reckoning of what that narrative is of mm-hmm. of what your beginning of your motherhood journey is like and shame as we talked about. Right. Um, so that's something that I feel is really important to continue the conversation. You know, once you get through something, then where are you at and how do you deal with it? And and what does that mean for a second baby? And so, right. you know, these are ongoing conversations that, you know, are definitely very important. And I love that you keep talking about grace. Mm. Yeah, we all need a little grace right now, right? Like a little we compassion, do. a little a little bit of space. We, we're in a very judgmental, cancel-y, you know, energy right now. And it, I don't know who it's serving, so... Yeah, I'm, it's something I'm thinking about a lot for sure. 
And I do have to ask you this last question because I said I would. Does your does do you have does your like grandmother visit you in your dreams? Like who who which ancestors visit you in your dreams? Yeah, my um so my aunt visits me pretty often in my dreams and then you know, I get signs. I have assigned actually this is something me and my daughter's practice, but we have assigned signs for different people in our lives who have passed. Mm-hmm. Um so like my aunt Karen has feathers and I have this very cheap article couch that just like molts feathers basically and so anytime a feather comes out my daughter will say like oh aunt karen says hi oh she and we put it in a little jar and like when we see them so you know i have a couple of things like that in my life like when the door creaks i had a psychic tell me that it was um virginia's grandmother saying hello every time the door creaks so i'll say hi to virginia when the door is creaking you know so there are all these little like things that i feel throughout the day which um, make me feel more connected. But my Aunt Karen, she's the one that comes in, into my dreams. She's usually at a bar. She's, she's at a bar. She's usually looking Fantastic. fabulous. She's usually What's she drinking? some kind of purple. She loves what? a Heineken. She loves a Cosmo. <laughs> she's a real good time gal. She's Yeah, she's always at a party. So, yeah. I love that she visits you and that you're open to having her visit. Yeah, I mean, I... It's funny. My She's my mother's best friend of over 50 years. She died mm-hmm. of cancer. Um I think it's been two years now and it's interesting the different ways we keep people alive and we keep um, them close to us. And, you know, I certainly don't summon the dreams. I never know when they're going to happen, but you know, I'm always like so grateful when, you know, I get to like almost like be with her is how it feels. You know, I remember like the silhouette of her and like reaching out for her shoulder and every time I see her in a dream I also know she's dead so it's very strange (laughs) and like you're not supposed to be here but you're here like it's such a weird like different vortex that I feel like we're in yeah so it's it's pretty it's so comforting because I really believe like again when I was in Taiwan I I love the relationship they have with their ancestors it's Mm. just so it gives me such Erin, it gives me such a sense of peace because my mother died when I was young. So mm. just that that connection to our ancestors. So yeah. I love that that you're open and you talk about them visiting because I think that keeps them alive and it keeps them here. Well, and it's just to bring it back to our postpartum conversation, you know, my grandmother had postpartum twice with both of her kids, with my father and um, his sister, and she didn't tell anybody about it her entire life. And at, until after I made my movie. And then we had a really honest conversation about postpartum. And then she died right before I gave birth to my second. Um, and I was really like angry with her because I was like going through the postpartum again yeah. and was like, you're not here this time. Like you're not here to support me. You're not here to be with me. And so I feel like a lot of my like relationships to her and, you know, feeling her and, and having her come to me have been like really relieving and really necessary mm-hmm. for my healing because I've, I still need her. <laughs> I yeah, still need, need her, her to be around. She's, um, you know, one of the most incredible women and um, has just always been a beacon of hope because she had also gone through it. And she's the only one in my family who, you know, has been really open with me about her mental health. So. And she never said a word. 
no, she never talked. It was funny. I was texting um, a group of moms and I was like, my, my grandmother just told me this and we were all talking about it. And they were like, I wonder if you're the first person she's ever told. Like, has she, ever, you know, like what's the context of, of having it, you know, 80 years ago. It's so right. it's, um, yeah, it was a real privilege to hear it from her. And yeah, I carry her with me. And, and it makes you wonder how many people have suffered in silence. Yeah. I mean, the statistics are not good. <laughs> I you, mean, what, so, are, what are the statistics? Do you know the statistics? Yeah, sure. It's yeah. a one in five um, women experience postpartum. Um, people who have depression or mental health issues are pretty susceptible to experiencing it. Um, women of color have a greater risk of experiencing it um, because often their births are so much more, um, you know, traumatic and their relationship to healthcare system is, um, is so different. And pandemic parents, I think the number is 70% of pandemic parents oh have experienced God. some level of depression or anxiety just through the experience of giving birth, you know, through the pandemic, which is definitely traumatic. But it's also 100% curable if you seek support. So it's not like a death sentence, but it is one of the greatest mortality rates in um, the United States is having postpartum depression or anxiety or OCD or you know any of the facets of it. So Erin, if someone was listening to this and they um, were suffering from postpartum, mm-hmm. where would you tell them to reach out to? I think the first thing is to like raise your hand and tell a friend mm-hmm. um, and like get somebody on the books who knows how you're feeling, like name it so that they can check in on you. Somebody you feel safe with that you feel comfortable with. And, you know, I, I remember firsthand feeling like I am sleeping, you know, in 30 minute increments. I'm never going to be able to find a therapist. I'm never going to be able to do all this. Like, ask for help if you can. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also really great organizations. I have a link we can post later. Oh, that would be great. Aaron. That will That'd call you, that will find you, that will support you. And then, like I said before, I had a bad therapist, find somebody who specializes in postpartum because you don't actually have to train when you're doing your therapy in any kind of postpartum. So it, it's not unusual for people not to know what it is or how to spot it or how to treat it. So And, you know, because of the pandemic, fortunately and unfortunately, there's a million Zoom groups, you know, of of women that gather and people that gather. And so, you know, open yourself up to maybe joining some of those spaces, too, that are just online that you can kind of pop in with your baby and, you know, come as you are and, you know, see how everybody's doing and, and share a little bit. But, yeah, definitely start taking steps to mosey forward. That's great, Erin. Thank you so much. I have loved talking to you. Me too, Amy. This is such a pleasure. Thank you for making the space for me um, to share. It was it was such a gorgeous conversation, and I'm I'm so glad to be here. Me too. Me too. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Sex After is hosted by me, Amy Marks, and is produced by Chris DeRosa. If you enjoy the show, I'd love to hear from you. DM me on Instagram at Amy Marks and Sex After Podcast, or send me a message on my website at amymarks.com. And please follow, rate, and review the show and help us spread the word. Until next time. <laughs>